we as voters have to get better at what we are demanding are the characteristics of our leaders, right? So for me, it would be integrity and courage and, you know, wanting to actually get stuff done, right? Those are the pieces that I'm not seeing in a lot of our leaders that are willing to step up right now. So it's one is supporting those type of people when you see them. And then the second is to be them yourselves, to get out there and put yourself forward. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. In this episode of Political Contessa, I have a very good friend of mine, Larissa Martinez, joining me. Larissa and I met a few years ago when I was the executive director of an organization called Reflect Us. It is a nationwide, nonpartisan, bipartisan organization of the leading women's organizations around the country, women's political organizations. And so Larissa and I had become friends back then, and she is joining me in her role now as the executive director and co-founder of the Women's Public Leadership Network, which I call WPLN. Larissa is a policy expert and skilled political strategist. She has a proven track record of delivering winning and multifaceted strategies. She combines policy, communications, and grassroots organizing. I love talking to Larissa about politics. I could spend hours, hours and hours and days and days listening to her and talking to her. She has served as a senior government relations professional in Washington, D.C. She currently is based out of Atlanta, and she feels like I do, that working in the space of women in politics is super important because there are so many great women across the country, so many unique perspectives and ideas, and women have the passion to run for office. And Larissa's out there helping organizations like mine, Pocketbook Project, to succeed in helping support women and train and educate and get them out there, hopefully running for office and winning. So please join me in talking to my friend, Larissa Martinez. So Larissa, Thank you for joining the Political Contessa. I'm just so excited to be on today. And Jen, I cannot believe that you just called me a mentor to you because you are obviously an inspiration to me, uh, someone who has been leading the charge and has a lot of courage in the political space and integrity, which I feel like we are not seeing quite as much lately, which is why I am doing the work that I do to try and bring back a little bit more effective governing and politics that give 
the voters more choice and who they're picking for leaders. So thank you. And I'm so excited that you are starting this new podcast series. And I hope that you continue to build your audience because it's, it's going to be fun, fun conversations. So thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's awesome. And you know what? These things are so important, right? Because as you know, with WPLN and in the work that you have done around this, one, it's difficult to get women to really talk about politics and break away from what the media wants us to hear about women, which is we only care about abortion rights. And, you know, we clearly don't care about anything else going on. And that's the biggest thing. And I think there's so much more there. And there are so many women who, as one who lives in a blue state, and for others that live in blue states, we run into this terrible situation, which is, you know, we're all the same. We all should be Democrats. And if we're not Democrats, then we're the most terrible, terrible person out there because we're Republicans. And how dare you? And I feel like a lot of my friends and not wanting to talk about policies that are upsetting to them and things that, you know, what we see in schools today, we have schools that are really driving critical race theory. We have schools that are really driving gender pronouns, taking place of valuable school time instead of math and science and history. We're now out there talking about these things. So I think it's so important for our voices because for women in red states, it's different than women in blue and purple states. And at the end of the day, in order to have representative democracy, when women make up more than 50 percent of the population, we need more women running for office and they can't just be Democratic women. So that's my segue into Women's Public Leadership Network. So why don't you tell us a little bit about WPLN, what you guys do and what you're what you're hoping to accomplish? Sure. But first, I should say that, you know, we obviously are on the same page and we hear this over and over again, but I think it's a mantra worth repeating that women are not a monolith. We span the spectrum. We come in all different gray areas, you know, and at WPLN, we really look at the spectrum of ideology, right? When it comes to whether you're left or right leaning, conservative or liberal, but then on top of that, you overlay a matrix of backgrounds and that can be everything from, you know, your ethnic, religious and racial makeup, but also to whether or not you have kids, whether or not you have a college degree, are you working professional? Do you live in a rural area versus an urban area? You know, all of these other pieces that make up a person's perspective. Because when you talk about, you know, representative democracy, we also look at it as reflective democracy as well, right? We want to make sure that it's not just a matter of having women for the sake of women, but having women that have these varied experiences and perspectives there, because that's going to lead to the most comprehensive policies for the most number of people in their communities. And so to your point, you know, it's running for office, it's putting yourself forward for appointed. Right now, there's a lot of focus on school boards and kind of those local races. But, you know, during the pandemic, I had several people, you know, confused as to why their public parks were closed. You know, who makes that decision? You know, all of a sudden, these kind of local politics and local policies started coming up because people didn't know really who makes these decisions. So we're hoping that women start to see why it's necessary to kind of pay attention to who your leaders are and who are doing these things. So 
All that to say is that's what led into the creation of Women's Public Leadership Network. So we are the only national training organization that specifically goes after women that self-identify in the center or right of center. And we really see that as women who support what we call common sense, pragmatic policy solutions, right? They are people that are looking for a little bit more limited government in their daily lives, but we do not endorse specific policies, nor do we endorse specific candidates. But we do want more women to start engaging in the conversation and in the political process. And so we try and find easy access points to get that information, whether it be coming online and accessing our four free resources. We have a platform that has 70 plus videos by practitioners, downloadable worksheets, community forums, all these different pieces, or engaging with organizations like yours, the Pocketbook Project in Massachusetts in the Northeast, but we have them all across the country and we're building more every day that these organizations are really the ones that are kind of at the center of the community's issues and really getting a sense of who these women are, how best to support them, connecting them to mentors, connecting them to the state-specific information. And really that's where we see the bulk of our work happening is through our state partners. So we're thrilled that the Pocketbook Project is one of those because you very smartly named it in a way that conveys exactly the type of issues and kind of philosophy that you're leading with, which is how are we looking at the policies, whether they be statewide or local, that are impacting your spending decisions, right? Women, one of the things I feel like we always lose track of is, you know, women have one of the largest purchasing powers in the country when it comes to how much they spend people that are doing their budgets, usually their household budgets, they are the ones that are actually kind of making those spending decisions for themselves and their families. I totally understand what you're talking about because I went to go, I'm driving my kids all over the place. It's like, I feel like I don't know where Ubers are anymore because it seems like no one's ever working anymore. But so I've become the Uber and I go to get gas the other day and I almost died. I mean, I have been driving a super, super long time. I have never seen gas that expensive. And all I keep thinking is, okay, like, you know, I have a good job and, you know, I taking care of all this other stuff. I think it's expensive. Like if you're someone who is barely getting by and you have to drive to work where traffic is back, because I know up here, at least no one's taking public transportation. So it's one person in a car. So traffic is back at a crazy pace and you're driving to work or you're driving your kids around and you have to fill up a couple of times a week. Every time you go to the pump, it's more expensive, right? Which goes back to women's spending power, what women are paying attention to. We're not, you know, I I always used to say to my mom as she would be like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm sitting on my couch eating bonbons and watching soap operas, right? Like that's kind of my joke of this isn't what we're doing, right? We're actually paying attention to the real world and not sitting around and, you know, just washing dishes, like we're buying food and we see inflation and we see how the economy is impacting us and our families. And so that to me, at least in New England, is a very big selling point to get women talking about politics. Now, so how do you, I guess one of the things that I continuously have conversations with women about, and of course, I always out myself. I I was out last night with a couple of new friends and I just need to out myself immediately just to clear things up. So that way it doesn't get awkward for anyone. And so, you know, I basically throw out there that I started a podcast and then it's what's it on. 
and then I get to talk about it, right? It's it's focused on women to the right, to the center, to the right, especially for women who live in blue states because many women don't feel like they have a home. Well, it opened up. It was like I opened up the floodgates to these women who were just dying to talk about issues and somewhere really far to the right of me, which I was really interested in, but they always feel like they're so pushed down that you could see the second you open it up and allow them to speak, they're just so happy to be able to share their opinions with someone who's new and different as, as opposed to how it usually is where, you know, I say it's like sideline chit chat and the cocktail parties and, you know, your in-laws come to visit or, you know, whatever it is, right. You're at a book club and no one knows what you do. And then all of a sudden it's talking about AOC and how awesome she is. And it's like, all of a sudden changes the conversation for anyone who doesn't believe in that. Right. So how do you though, find it for women that, cause you, I mean, you have all of us, all of our organizations, but you do a substantial amount of work and have a lot of people contact you. So what is the conversation around the country with women who maybe are from blue states or from purple states who want to get involved, but still feel hindered or feel like they've got the noose, the Trump noose. That's probably a bad analogy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But having that crutch to bear of the Trump-isms and then also being a woman and being more concerned about issues, everyday issues that go on. And those everyday issues could be what's going on in Afghanistan, what's going on at the border, the inflation, you know, the spending you see, you know, now all of a sudden Biden's $3 trillion plan is, Ooh, it looks like a big reduction. And it's only down to one seven five. Wow. We have such savings with the T over there. So how do you engage those women to actually run for office? Because I'm finding, I'm just, I just want them to even political contessa. It's just talk about politics and policy. So how do you get them to the next step? Yeah. So what's interesting right now, of course, is that what I'm seeing is that a lot of women are not feeling 100% welcome in either party. And so that's one of the reasons why WPLN is a 501c3. (laughs) And we, we operate more on, obviously, the nonpartisan side. And one of the things that I will also bring up always is that nonpartisan does not equal neutral. So again, we do have an ideological leaning. However, we are that kind of quote unquote, I hate using this term as you know, but a safe space, so to speak, for women to start finding that community and finding that engagement, because so many positions and especially appointments are nonpartisan. You don't actually have to affiliate yourself with a party. So finding, again, finding that space where you feel passionate about a specific issue or a couple of issues and finding the right position where you feel comfortable. Now, if you identify with one of the parties, great. I mean, you already kind of have that down. But if you don't, it doesn't mean that you don't have a place or that your voice can't be heard. And I think one of the things that's the hardest, and this is where WPLN comes in, and then I also try to you know, put people with mentors and connect people with the right individuals that can help them on their journeys. But it's that idea that you need a support network. 
Because to your point, women are not, it's not just that they're not feeling comfortable coming forward, but they also don't necessarily know where to find that additional support because women are busy, right? You just noted all the things that you're doing, right? You feel like an Uber, you're doing all these things for your kids. You know, you have a lot of stuff going on. And then on top of it, you're seeing all of this craziness at the national level. You're seeing stuff happening in your own communities. It feels overwhelming at times. So, you know, I think that where you start is finding that kind of support group, so to speak, of other like-minded women that even though you may not agree on every single thing, you at least come from a place of principle. You feel like you have integrity. You're trying to figure out the right way to make a difference, whether that be seeking office, whether it be seeking an appointment, you know, whether it be just going out and voting and supporting a candidate that you really like, right? It's just getting involved because it can feel like we're adding one more thing to your plate. But the way that we try to help with that is by, again, connecting you to other folks. That's why organizations like the Pocketbook Project and WPLN are so important because they provide that support group for you so that you know you're not alone in this. You know that there are other people to refine your policy positions with. And the other thing to note is that women also feel like they they need to know everything about every issue and be an expert on it before. Now, granted, I think it's to our benefit that we actually want to know what we're doing before we jump into <laughs> to an office or into a race, but it also can be a hindrance if you feel like you're never quite on top of an issue or know enough, you don't need to know that much, right? You need to know how it impacts you. You need to know what you would maybe do differently or who you would even talk to, to know, to start that conversation. And that's all you need because it's just a matter of being open and being driven and feel like you want to make a difference. That's really what needs to happen more so than you need to have it all figured out right this second. But like I said, I mean, you know, whether or not it's Trump or Biden, those national narratives cannot necessarily be controlled by any one group, as we've seen, they kind of have a life of their own. And so again, it depends on what you're running for, what you are thinking about doing, and, you know, what issue you're choosing to engage on. Because at the end of the day, like if you decide to run, let's say as a Republican in the state legislature, there's a whole bunch of organizations that will support you. And they're not going to necessarily make you check a whole list before they'll be helpful, right? You don't have to like agree with every single thing they're doing. You have to have common principles and common values, but you don't need to have everything because your community, you're going to be representing them. And as long as you know what they're looking for in a representative, you don't necessarily need to adhere to everything that the national parties are telling you you need to or your state party, because they're broad, right? Like they're thinking broadly about a number of different factors, which may not even impact your specific race. But I mean, Jen, you've seen it from, you know, firsthand experience being a candidate yourself. So, you know, what, I mean, how did you navigate kind of the, the places where you didn't necessarily agree with the party? Yeah, I mean, wow, what a way to flip it around at me, Larissa. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I told um, <laughs> you. I look to your experience, Jen. I like it. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because as we both know, right, women need to be asked 10 times to run for office on average. And it's all those things that you said. It's, I'm not an expert on, I don't know this, I don't know that. And running for office, you don't know everything, right? It's like it's like anything else in life. You get a job, you don't know anything about the job. You become a parent, you don't know anything about the kids.
kid. You start driving, you know, you you take driver's ed, but like, and then someone hands you, you know, a weapon of mass destruction and you get in it and you start going. And so I think like for most of the things we do in life, we forget that they don't come with instruction manuals, right? And we we kind of have to feel our way through and find the things that we're good at and the things that we're not good at. We need to just learn enough. And so, and I see before I get to me, since you put me on the spot, but right now we have looking at the Boston mayor's race and it had been that one of the candidates there, everyone running was a liberal progressive Democrat. And that would make Tip O'Neill roll over in his grave. It might make Ted Kennedy roll over in his grave, how progressive these folks are. And in the top two, one of the women is very progressive, one super progressive, like would give away all of our housing for affordable housing. But the other one has received donations from Republicans. And there's a super PAC that has been supporting her that is big Republican donor has given money to. And all of a sudden it's she's being supported. Now, none of these people were supportive of Trump. <laughs> And all of a sudden it's, she's being backed by Trump Republicans. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding, right? So in a nonpartisan mayor's race with two progressive Democratic women at the end, you still end up with that same narrative, which I would like for us to try to move away from because in my race, yes, I'm a Republican. It was a nonpartisan race. And I still got beat up the whole time about national politics. Well, how do you feel about abortion? How do you feel about the wall? How do you feel? And I kept saying, I'm, I'm running to fix the potholes and the streetlights. <laughs> like, make sure that the old folks that are walking across the street can get across safely, that my daughter riding on her scooter isn't going to go bust her face open when she hits a ditch in the sidewalk, but you have to navigate that and you have to ha change the conversation. So, you know, when it came to housing, my opponent was a house. She spent a couple of years in, in the housing world. So she was a housing expert, which is how she built herself. And I would say, I'm not, I'm not a housing expert. You know, I know other things, but I'll tell you, yes, I believe that people should have quality housing and that housing should be affordable. I don't think that that means means on the backs of taxpayers. And I think my affordable version is different than hers, right? For teachers and firefighters and police officers and keep our, keep our brain trust in the city, make sure people don't get, especially in a city like Boston, you come in, you go to MIT, you go to Harvard, you go to BU and BC, and then you leave and you go someplace else cheaper. Let's keep the brain trust here. And so I think that's an important thing is being able to divert the conversation from, you're not going to be an expert. You're not going to win you're not going to win every argument by trying to be an expert. You have to take it and you have to make it into what feels good for you and rests on your own principles and ideology. I mean, clearly that helped me because I lost, but, <laughs> but it, you know, but you, stayed on, <laughs> but I, but you stayed on principle, but you stayed on the right there. Yes, you did. <laughs> you could go to bed with your feeling okay at night. Yes. So how, how do you, I'm going to take your, WPLN hat off for a second, because I'm interested in people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. How do we Republican women move around the narrative, right? That everyone is like, everyone out there is Trump. 
okay, well, I'm a woman and I'm not Trump. And well, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So now we have her as the female version, which I don't think Trump was as far over in anything as Marjorie Taylor Greene is, but, you know, and I'm not going to pick on her on this just in case, you know, you love her. I mean, you're, you're from that <laughs> neck of the woods, <laughs> but I'm just saying in, in general, for most of us, it's hard to navigate the mainstream media wanting to bring that narrative onto us. And so you could say no, no, no to people you meet, but what do you think that we women on the right can do to change the narrative overall to protect everyone who's running, right? Like, is there something that we can do that gives shelter to other women who are out there running? Or do we just need to let all of this play out? What are you seeing? What are the trends? What are you hearing out there? I mean, honestly, it comes down to support, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously, she says a lot of things that make for great clickbait when it comes to ads by the media and and other things, which is why they kind of promote her and others that say, you know, pretty, without saying judgment, just things that cause emotional reactions. We'll put that out there, right? So because she causes emotional reactions, it's and same with AOC, same with some of these other more activists, because there are activists on both sides of the spectrum, that it is hard to find a lane when the media is kind of making the lane for you and basically designating who is speaking for you on your behalf. So to me, the two best ways to do it is A, put yourself forward as not that, right? There's so many people out there that are not activists. I mean, I hate to say, but I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of activists as public servants, which is what you're supposed to be first. Politician is like the the piece that you need to get you through a campaign. But once you get there, you're supposed to govern. (laughs) That is your job. That is what you're supposed to be doing. You have, you know, you've been given this tremendous responsibility by your constituents to represent them on these important decisions that you are getting access to the full picture of, and you need to take that seriously. And so to me, it's finding people that have different backgrounds that are willing to put themselves forward and start to create kind of a flood the market with people that have a little bit more governing in mind than just bomb throwing, especially for their own edification, right? (laughs) For their own, for their own egos, for lack of a better term. And it doesn't mean that they're not putting out some interesting topics for conversation, because that's what activists do is they push a specific agenda in a way that makes you feel like you have a reaction, whether positive or negative to take action. Like that is the point. But you know, how do we get back to the expectation of our constituents and to individuals in this country, that they should be expecting people to be there and actually govern on our behalf. Because I hate to say it, but our representatives are a reflection of us and what we demand and expect of them. So we as voters have to get better at what we are demanding are the characteristics of our leaders, right? So for me, it would be integrity and courage and, you know, wanting to actually get stuff done, right? Those are the pieces that I'm not seeing in a lot of our leaders that are willing to step up right now. So it's one is supporting those type of people when you see them. And then the second is to be them yourselves, to get out there and put yourself forward. But again, if you're not ready to do that, it's the supporting of the, any candidate that you see. Don't let the talking heads 
of politics sway you from someone if they really are speaking to you? Because people love, especially to naysay, to make it seem as though they have some insider knowledge on something that they like know that this candidate's never going to dot, 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 <laughs> you know, never going to win or not going to get the votes or not going to raise money, whatever it is, especially early on in a campaign. But if you find that that person speaks to you and you really feel like they're approachable and that they would be the best representative for you, go support them. Find other people to support them. Host a meet and greet for them, walk doors for them, you know, fundraise for them, all of those pieces, whether they be men or women, it's getting a different type of leader in office. So whether that be yourself or supporting them, that would be how we change the narrative. God, I love that. That's exactly my feeling right now is that we have so many of these activist leaders and I only pick on Marjorie Taylor Green because she's on our side, but you know, and that's what I hear a lot coming back at us, but I always go back with AOC. I mean, you know, wearing that dress, tax the rich, you're at the fanciest ball ever, $35,000 a ticket. You didn't get there in a Prius and you're wearing a dress by a designer And all she, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine how many campaign finance violations she racked up by even going to that. But we need less of that. You know, that's good for TV. And she could go on MSNBC. But I think as far as having people in office, we need more people who are going to go in and be able to make a difference and put the country on a better track than we are currently. Yeah. And it's not easy, Jen. I'm just going to say that, right? It's not easy. I'm making it sound as though like, just go out there. You'll be fine. <laughs> but, and I'm asking you to pay more attention than you probably typically do. That's the other piece too, right? Like pay attention to primaries, pay attention to who is even starting to put themselves out there. So that's the, you know, just be more engaged. Number one, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's, you know, it goes back to exactly what I'm trying to get other women to do, which is talk about policy and politics, engage your friends, try, even if you have differences, whether they're you're super conservative and super moderate or super moderate and your friend is very progressive or opposite ends of the spectrum, be able to have those conversations because if you can't do it with your friends, then it's really difficult to do it if you're if you decide that you're ever going to run again if you're ever going to run for office but even more than that i think the only way that the conversations change is by your people in your own network in your own community seeing that you have these views because i think what happens right it's this pack mentality where it's like if all of my friends are liberals not necessarily mine but you know if your friends are all liberals and you're not but that's all that they're doing and talking about. You kind of get into this, like shaking your head. Yes. My daughter was telling me in her AP gov class, teachers started talking about something and the girls were kind of slightly to the right. And then when the teacher was talking a little bit more, you could see that they're shaking their heads. One of the girls goes, actually, I want to change my answer. Right. And so it's that mentality of, well, if everyone's saying this and everyone's doing this, I'm going to go along with this instead of, having the conversations and discussing why it's different. And, and then I'm hoping that we can get more people running for office and, and engaging more and less of the more activism on the ground is good, but less activism in government. So where do you think, I know we suffer this in Massachusetts right now where our mass GOP chair is battling against our governor, who is the most popular governor in the country, whether you agree with him or not, 
you know, on on his politics, as Reagan said, you know, when you agree with someone 80 percent of the time, they're not a traitor. But for some reason, our mass GOP chairman thinks that, you know, he he should be out of office. So what do you think is going to happen with the Republican Party going forward, especially going into midterms where historically I'm asking you to get at your crystal ball, where historically Republicans or the party not in power ends up taking at least one of the houses? What do you think is going to happen? Can the Republican Party change the narrative and pull away from the Trump stuff a little bit and be able to win seats in the House and the Senate? First thing, you know, I was having an interesting conversation with a former professor of mine last week who is very wise, (laughs) very sage in these spaces, been around for a long time. And he made an important observation that I think is kind of important to note about kind of the conventional wisdom, to your point about midterm elections, is that usually that the conventional wisdom that a the ruling party loses seats in a midterm normally happens, though, when the majority of those people coming into power have ridden the coattails of said incumbent. When if you look at where we are now with the makeup of the Senate and the House, especially how close the margins are, most people actually didn't come in on Biden's coattails, which means that they're not beholden necessarily to the same political wins that typical midterms would be under. And so I do think that there's actually probably little margin for shift. Now, redistricting is going to play a huge role in this, right? And redistricting, you know, the maps are still being drawn right now. They historically favor Republicans just because of rural districts and and other things we can get into in a later podcast. But, But, you know, so there is some of those pieces that may favor Republicans in general. But to your point, that's the narrative piece. The messaging piece is going to be the one that, you know, it is going to be hard because I don't think it's going to necessarily be because of Trump or not because of Trump or because of Biden or not because of Biden. I think a lot of it is going to fall in this middle space. And especially on the Trump question, you're going to have to watch some of these races where he's put a lot of his own political capital into, right? So the Senate race in Georgia, Murkowski's race in Alaska, and, you know, Liz Cheney's race in Wyoming. He's going after Jamie Herrera Butler in Washington state. So finding those, those are going to be kind of the bellwether because those are purple districts, purple states that, you know, depending on who he runs and whether or not they get the nomination and then whether or not they win general is going to be telling and how the Republicans continue moving forward in their message. But I think it's just going to be interesting because I don't, I feel like the margins are still going to be tight no matter what kind of happens either way. I think you may see some flipping here and there depending on if, you know, the the candidate and if the message against or for Biden's agenda is good or bad. I hate to say it, but still so much can happen in a year. Think of all that's happened in this year. I keep forgetting that January 6th was this year. Like, and we're not even done with the year. <laughs> it's like not even November yet, you know, and by, you know, we have a whole nother year to go before the midterm elections. Anything could happen. But I think the coattail piece is especially important, especially when you look at the small margins and and what districts and what states are actually in play. And I think that that's that's going to be more interesting to watch than and then the Trump, the Trump candidates in general and how well they do and whether or not people stay home, too, because if he can affect a general election, like, for example, if he's put up in Georgia, he's put up candidates against the incumbent Republican governor and the Republican incumbent secretary of state. And, you know, if they win or they don't win primary and we still have our current incumbents up in the general, he could encourage his people to stay home. And what is how does that impact the elections? Right. So it's going to be just I mean, I hate to say it, but it's going to be interesting no matter what. And I mean, I'm just happy that I, I live in the land of the nonprofit where I feel positive about the women that we have moving forward. And I don't have to necessarily play kind of in this 
in this world right now, because it is a hard one to know how to navigate. Yeah, definitely. God, it is a hard one to navigate. And and I'm with you. I, I like being in this space because I feel like it's much more fun to be able to develop women to run for office, you know, to talk about politics, to run for office, even the most local offices, to get on boards and commissions, to see how government really functions or doesn't function. But I think one of the things that really is concerning to me is voter turnout, right? Because you can't complain if you don't vote. And if any politician ever tells anyone to stay home and keep their vote to themselves, I think it's really detrimental to democracy because we're not going to get out of it what we have or what we should be should have. And that I think that's very dangerous for us to get into. So I hope that that's not the case. I hope that everyone goes and votes and votes early and often. And maybe that's not the right phrase anymore either after, after the past couple of election cycles, you know, but make sure that they go and vote and support, like you said, find people that you agree with and support that candidate. And women do, as we know, right, in our business, women do a lousy job of donating and of fundraising for people who they like and for other women. And so to get women out there, even if they're not running for themselves, do a fundraiser for a woman that you like, someone who shares your policy priorities and give them money. You know, we're able to go and buy shoes that we like and handbags that we like. And there's no reason why we can't give money to candidates that we like as well. Yeah. And Jen, just to add on that really fast, you know, to your point, it's, I think it's this whole idea that we see more of a return on investment when it comes to buying shoes more so than supporting candidates. But I also think that's because sometimes we as women have not necessarily been as engaged in some of the the upward mobility in business community and other pieces. And so anyway, all this to say is, is that remember that it's helpful to be able to call up your local school board member that you gave money to and have an issue that access is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Larissa, thank you so much for being on this episode of Political Contessa. It is awesome to talk to you. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. So I'm going to have to have you come back on and as the cycle goes on and talk more about WPLN. But before you go, one quick thing. I know I will be seeing you in the next couple of months in person in a very, very fun location. So before you, uh, I let you off the hook and close out, what is WPLN doing? So we are hosting our inaugural summit. It is going to be February 4th and 5th in New Orleans. And this is going to be kind of the first of its kind event from the nonprofit side that brings together you know, women that identify as center and center right from across the country. Whether you are thinking of seeking office, whether it be your current office holder or just someone who supports the mission and wants to get to know other women like themselves, it's a great opportunity to come down. We have great programming, great events. It's going to be a really fun, fun event. There'll be about 250 plus individuals running around. And we do provide free childcare, both in the evening event on Friday and the programming Saturday, because we think it's important to to provide that. But we also, if you want to leave the kids at home and we encourage you to bring, you know, a group of friends with you and have a fun weekend of it in New Orleans, that's, that's okay too, whatever you'd like to do. And we also have a track for uh, families and partners as well that can help 
prepare them for if you are if you are thinking of running for office of what that looks like. So if you want to bring them too. But thank you for the plug, Jen. We look forward to seeing you there and all of your friends and, and everyone from the Pocketbook Project. So if you're listening in your Massachusetts and you want to get to know the Pocketbook Project, come down. Absolutely. We will be there with bells on or beads on. <laughs> I might drag on my brand, kids alone. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> I might drag my kids along. But yeah, we're definitely going to be there and hopefully have some other women from New England showing up. So we're very excited about it. And Larissa, thank you and WPLN for all that you do. This is Larissa Martinez from Women's Public Leadership Network here today on Political Contessa. And Larissa, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.